Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Our reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. This is a very famous episode in John's Gospel, and we really have difficulty with this passage, and here's why. It's loaded with all kinds of understanding, accruements over the years of what it means to be born again. So in this passage, uh, we, we're going to hear some familiar language. And you hear people talk all the time about born-again Christians, and sometimes that's in a good connotation and a good light, and sometimes it's not when people think about born-again Christians. Sometimes there's a caricature of what a born-again Christian is. Uh, some would say born-again Christians are people that don't drink, don't smoke, and don't go with those that do. Uh, some would say born-again Christians make a lot of casseroles and are very stuffy people. So there's a lot of caricatures out there about what a born-again Christian is, and some of them are not fair uh, in their assessment of, of Christians. But this phrase, born-again, brings a lot of freight for Christians. So it's very difficult to hear this passage and hear it the way Nicodemus heard it. So that's going to be the challenge today in the podcast is to hear this passage the way Nicodemus would hear it. So before I read it, let me give you uh, some background. I'm going to give a little bit more background than normal, just so as we read through it, you'll understand where Nicodemus is coming from. Nicodemus is part of the Sanhedrin. He is very well connected. He knows the Bible. He's a teacher of Scripture. So imagine a guy in our time that maybe has a doctorate degree in the Bible. Very smart. Maybe he went to an Ivy League school even, so very connected. Uh, this guy would have some wealth, too. He's an older guy. He's not a young guy, so he's lived some some years, and he's got some wisdom. So this guy's not you know, some fellow that's coming from a life of vice and sin, so to speak. You know, he's not uh, from a biker gang or you know, staying, all, all, staying out all night at the bars. This is not Nicodemus. He's a very religious person. So this language that Jesus uses with him would be strange for a person that is very religious already and very connected. So think of Nicodemus. There's some things you need to pick up on. He's coming at night, and so there's a reason for that. He probably doesn't want to be seen in the daytime with Jesus because they don't know yet who Jesus is. Uh, the Sanhedrin and the Jewish authorities are trying to figure this out. Who is this guy that's healing and teaching? And what's this all about? And also, Jesus is going to use images and allusions from the Old Testament that Nicodemus would understand. He is going to give Nicodemus something to think about. And Jesus does this with everyone. And he does it with different ways, or he does it in different ways. For example, the Samaritan woman at the well, he's going to ask her to go get her, get her husband. We know that's an issue, uh, that she's been married multiple times. And that is a problem in her life, uh, the struggle with men. And so Jesus sometimes appears in John's gospel to be changing the subject, but he's not. He is on topic, and in this passage, it's going to seem like Jesus is changing the subject, and he's not. He's very much on topic with the questions that Nicodemus are asking. So we need to think about uh, what is going on in this passage. Uh, this idea of water and spirit is loaded with all kinds of freight, too. Uh, I know there's a lot of debate about, you know, is water here talking about baptism, and there's those that say it is, and there's those that say it, it it's not. I will say this, and you can take this or leave it. The earliest Christians, the ones that lived closest to this text, took it to be some type of allusion or metaphor to Christian baptism. I'm not saying that's exactly what Jesus is saying here, 
And, and I can tell you, I, I don't know for sure if that's in the mind of Jesus, but it does seem like it could be a possibility because baptism is all around this passage. So there could be some pointing forward uh, to the idea of baptism and the reception of the Spirit. We know that happens in Acts chapter 2, uh, that one receives the Spirit in baptism. Uh, it says so in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. So uh, that could be in the background. So just wanted to throw that out there for you too. So realize this guy Nicodemus comes at night. He's connected. He's smart. He's educated. And he's got some means and some power too. So this is the kind of guy that comes to Jesus. So let's read these 15 verses. Now there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a, good, a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's all kinds of plays on words going on here. Uh, there's two different plays on words going on in this passage. One is this idea of being born again. The Greek word there is anathen. And anathen could be uh, translated as born again. Or it could be translated as being born from above. So I do think Jesus is doing this on purpose. This idea of being born again. Nicodemus gets confused. You know, think about it. Nicodemus is a very religious guy. He doesn't have a lot of problems probably in his life. Or what we would think of on the surface. And Jesus looks at him and says, look buddy, you got to be born again. Well that had to be insulting for Nicodemus. Uh, here's a guy that's very educated, very connected, very religious. And Jesus is saying, look, you've got to be born again, Nicodemus. You must be born again. So that's humbling, first of all. And then this idea, Nicodemus is, is confused. He says, well, how is a person born again? How, do you go back into your mom's womb? I mean, that's a legitimate question. I mean, he has no category for what Jesus is talking about. And realize this is 2,000 years ago. When we hear born again, we automatically think religious experience. We think Sometimes we think an emotional religious experience. Uh, sometimes we think of a moralistic person that's very strict and uh, very moral. Um, but that's not in Nicodemus's equipment in his head. He's not going to understand this category. It's just brand new to him. It's blowing him away. And so there's this play on words going on. And, and I think what Jesus is really saying is, you must be born of above. And Nicodemus misconstrues it and says, born again in your mother's womb. So Jesus' point is, you must be born from heaven, so to speak, literally. Heavenly life must come into you. The Spirit must descend and come into your life. Now, I think that's the case because later in this passage, Jesus will talk about where he came from, uh, that he is from heaven. So I do think that's the context, and that makes more sense. So that word anathen can be translated as born of above, or it can be translated as born again. And so there's some confusion on Nicodemus's part. Then also the word pneuma, think of the word pneumonia. Pneuma is the Greek word for spirit. And so you've got this idea of being born of the spirit, which obviously is the Holy Spirit. But then you also have this idea of wind. The word for wind and the word for spirit are the same word. 
So it's really difficult sometimes to figure out where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and when he's talking about the literal wind that blows. But I do think there's an intentional play on words going on here as you read the passage. So that is fascinating when you consider that Jesus is doing this with Nicodemus. But here's the thing that we miss that kind of flies by us at 7,000 miles per hour. Jesus is talking about the Old Testament. There is a place in the Old Testament that connects water and spirit. And it fits perfectly with what he's talking about to Nicodemus here. So Nicodemus, being a learned teacher of the law, would have to take this and mull it over. He will have to go and think about this text Jesus is talking about and consider what is Jesus telling me here? What do I need to do? And I do think you see a change in Nicodemus, especially as we get to the end of the gospel, that he in some ways has this transformation where he starts to believe in Jesus At this time, he really doesn't know what to think about Christ. But I want to take you back to an Old Testament passage that Jesus is uh, referring to. Now, I'm going to come back. You probably noticed I didn't read verses 9 through 15, and there's a reason. I want to come back to that in just a second. Uh, I know this podcast may may go a little bit long because this is a lot of stuff. But in Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27, there's this prophecy that, that Israel, who is in exile, in some way will be made brand new. Now think about why Israel went into exile. God gave them the law of Moses, but their heart, their hearts were hard. They did not obey God. They rebelled against God. And God says, there's going to be a day when I change your heart. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and your heart will be changed and you will want to obey my law. You will desire to obey my law. So when we look at Ezekiel 36 around verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. So this idea of water, this is a priestly ritual. Ezekiel was a priest. And so you would go through these ritual water cleansings, and the priests would do this a lot, the Levitical priests. So this is the idea of being washed with water to be made pure uh, to go into the temple. In verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and carefully to obey my rules. Later on in the next chapter, you have the Valley of Dry Bones, if you remember. And those uh, bones come alive into this new army of the Lord, so to speak. And then in Ezekiel 37, verse 14, he says again, I will put my spirit within you. I'm going to renew your heart. I'm going to give you a new desire. This is what Jesus is referring to when he connects water and spirit. Any Jew that's read their their Old Testament, this is a very important passage, Ezekiel 36 and 37, when they contemplated what would God do, how would that look, how would he fulfill this passage, Jesus is saying, this is how it's going to work. You must be born of above. Some call this regeneration. Now, let me just clear up some confusion. This is not some emotional experience, okay? This is not some charismatic experience. This is something that, that must happen for all people. We come to Jesus in faith. We abandon all rights to our life and we realize that all of us are the same before the Lord. This is a realization Nicodemus has got to come to. Whether you're a person in sin, whether you're a a prostitute, whether you're a, a teacher of the law, whether it doesn't matter your station in life, you must be born again. All of us are sinners. All of us are on equal footing. Now, I'm going to go in and look at these last few verses and and 
John 3. Nicodemus said to them, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If we have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this is why I think Jesus is saying born of above and not born again. Because he's saying, look, I came from heaven. I'm telling you about heavenly stuff, buddy, and you're not getting it. And he's, he kind of throws a shot at him here, throws some shade at him and says, you're a teacher of the law. How do you not know this? You should, you should have processed Ezekiel 36. You should have processed Ezekiel 37. You had to know that God was going to do something like this. I mean, Ezekiel told you guys this. So Jesus, Jesus is on him just a little bit here. But then he goes to this weird thing in, in verse 14 of John 3. And he talks about as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now, this is referring to the book of Numbers. There was a place where God's people grumbled against God. And God sent snakes into uh, the camp, these poisonous snakes. And they bit the Israelites and they are dying from poison. And God tells Moses to do something really strange. He says to make a golden serpent, put it on a standard, which most people would agree it's a cross, probably a cross uh, structure. And so you've got this serpent wrapped around this cross-like structure. And Jesus says, just as that standard was lifted up and healed the Israelites, so as they look upon this golden snake, they're being healed from the snake bites. Jesus says, this is kind of an illusion or a metaphor of the cross. I will be lifted up. I'll be lifted up on this standard like that, that snake on the pole. I will be on the cross. And, and I will take on your curse for your sin, and you will be healed. That's what Isaiah tells us. By his stripes, we will be healed. The early church fathers called uh, the work of Jesus the medicine of immortality. You know, we have the, the curse of death, the sting of the venom, the poison of death. Jesus is the antidote to that. He's the anti-venom of the bite of the serpent from the garden. So this is the image Jesus is throwing out there for Nicodemus. So I know we've said a lot in this podcast, and this passage is packed full of good stuff, but so much is going on. Just remember, one thing we can take away from this, it doesn't matter your status, it doesn't matter how much Bible you know, it doesn't matter how wonderful your life is. All people must receive the Spirit and must be born again. And that occurs when we abandon all rights to our life. It's not something you're going to do. You come to Jesus and you say, take my life. I submit to you totally. And that, that's the, the vision of baptism. You're submitting. You're being immersed. You're allowing this to happen to you. And you're receiving this gift of the Spirit into your life. And Christ is doing this great work upon your heart and changing you and making you brand new, a new creature. We must all be born again. There are no special people, VIPs in heaven. It doesn't work that way. We all must be born again. So if you take anything away from this passage, take that away. That's the most important point. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. I know there was a lot today, uh, but this is a, a wonderful passage full of all kinds of, of truth. But uh, God bless. I hope you tune in tomorrow as Devin will be driving the podcast tomorrow.